And for our reading from our confessions, our focus this, af- this afternoon is from Lord's Day 10, which is found on page 525 in the back of your uh, book of praise. Lord's Day 10 will be reading question answers 27 and 28. The Catechism asks us, what do you understand by the providence of God? The answer, God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Question answer 28. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? The answer is we can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. Thus far, the reading from our Confession of Faith. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the doctrine of providence is one of the most comforting doctrines uh, because it reminds us that our God, the true and living God, is in control. That is, that everything in this good creation... Everything that we see about us does not unfold by chance, does not come to pass by accident, but because the God we know and confess as our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ has all things in his mighty hand. All things. He is sovereign. That is, he has complete and total reign over all things. He is almighty. He is, children, the greatest, the greatest mighty one there is. He is the almighty. Therefore, heaven and earth and all creatures are under his divine rule and control. Now, Lord's Day 9 reminds us of the faithfulness of this God we call our Father. Reminds us of his power and of his might, but also of his great love and faithfulness for us his people. Scripture reminds us that we are his children and heirs through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a great and comforting thing for us, that we are not our own, but belong to this gracious and wonderful God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It reminds us that our God is not some God out there, some distant God, some God who's not in the least bit interested in the affairs of man. You know, a a God who, like a great watchmaker, has made it and allows it to unfold, looking at it from a distance, admiring his creation, but yet not involved. No, our God is not like that. The Bible shows us that our God is keenly interested in all the things that take place, from the ordering of the seasons, which we read there in Psalm 104, to the most intricate details of our lives. The very fact that he knows the numbers of the hairs of our head shows us how much he has great interest in us. So it's a wonderful thing, again, to ponder this wonderful doctrine of 
of providence to, again, dwell on the fact that God is sovereign over all things. And at the same time that he has an infinite love for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, as a faithful father, we know that he will care for us. And as a mighty God, he has the power to provide for us, as we remember from Lord's Day 9. And so this afternoon, let us consider God's word with the theme, the church makes a confident confession about the providence of God. And as you can note there from the bulletin, we'll see that in two points, that our confession uh, is, first of all, of the fact that this is the absolute truth, the absolute truth of this doctrine, and secondly, also the amazing comfort that we have in this doctrine, the absolute truth and the amazing comforts. The absolute truth, and we make that statement, beloved, because sometimes people of the world think that all of these doctrines and teachings and big words, you know, we throw out there like sanctification and justification and reprobation and consummation, that all of these terms come from theologians and and scholars who have nothing better to do than sit around and think up all these things. No, we're reminded that these things come from Scripture. These are teachings of God's Word meant to instruct us concerning the truth of God's works amongst us uh, in His grace and uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Psalm 104 is one of those beautiful psalms that speaks uh, to that doctrine of providence, the doctrine of creation of the intimate care of God and ordering everything from the grass of the field to to man himself and all his needs. As we read there also uh, in that uh, psalm, there's not one part of that creation that is not under his watchful eye and attentive care. But then that leads us to ask the question, well, what is the providence of God? What is the providence of God? Well, notice again, how the Catechism uh, so wonderfully summarizes that truth. God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them. Thus, the providence of God is the exertion of God's power over the creation. The exertion of God's power over the creation, Isaiah 40, verse 26 says, Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. As our confession says, God by his power upholds heaven and earth. And all creatures. And that means, children, that God sustains all these things. He's the one who keeps them in existence. They're not affected by Father Time and run by Mother Nature. It's our Heavenly Father. The stars stay where they are because He has set them in their place. The planets move as they do. The sun rises and sets, and the moon runs its course because that's how God ordained it. Life continues. As we know it, because God is actively upholding all things. He is active in that. And and again, to show us that, to give us that in an image, we see that the catechism uses that language of scripture of God's hand. 
of God's hand. Now we know that God is spirit and therefore he is invisible. He does not have a physical nature as we do, even though the Lord Jesus Christ has taken our humanity to himself. But he uses this imagery to show us his power, to show us more of his person, of his care. And in the scriptures, we often see the symbolism of of the hand. It's symbolic of power. It's symbolic of might, along with the arm. Right? We read of God's arm not being too short to save. And so if you were a person of, of any status, to sit at the right hand of a king was to sit in the place of privilege. It was to sit in the place of, of power and favor. Thus, God's right hand is so powerful, as Job says in Job 12, verse 10, that the life of every living thing is in it. It's in his hand. He is all-powerful, almighty. We do not have life nor continue with life except by the mighty exertion of of God's power over his creation. Thus, it's not surprising that we see the descriptive terms used here of the catechism reflected in the scriptures that it's an almighty power or that it's an ever-present power. That means, children, that God's power is something that he continually exerts and continually manifests towards his creatures, towards all living things. Indeed, if there was ever a moment, if there was ever a time where God stopped upholding the vastness of his creation or removed from us life and breath, because as the Apostle Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being, then life would end. Things would seek to exist. They would be no more. We we wouldn't be waiting around for evolution to kick in again. No. God is the one who sustains and provides. And so when we speak of God's providence, we're speaking of that power that he exerts in upholding all things visible and invisible. But then that leads to the next thing our question and answer talks about, that this power is seen in his governing all things. His governing, and what that refers to, beloved, is the fact that God, by his power, directs and orders everything that comes to pass in his creation and amongst his creatures. Nothing happens apart from his will. Nothing happens apart from his design. And that refers to things in general in the creation, and again to the very specific things that happen in your life, in my life, in the life of the church, in the life of mankind, in the life of the nations. For example, the thoughts and devices of men are under his providential control. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Acts 17 reminds us that God appoints the times and places where people live. Daniel 2 reminds us that God is the one who determines the rise and fall of nations, leaders, and armies. There's nothing in a man's life that's outside of God's providential working. In fact, even the evil deeds and wicked ways of men fall under his providence. To be sure, God cannot be charged as the author of sin. He cannot be charged with wickedness or evil. And yet the wicked are subject to his power and will and are under his control. They cannot engage in their evil activities nor follow the desires of their heart unless God so wills. 
For example, we think of Pharaoh and God's hardening of his heart. Or we think of Esther and the schemes of Haman to destroy the Jews. Or we think of the deeds of evil King Herod seeking to destroy the Christ child. None of these things were apart from God's control. As Jesus said to Pontius Pilate in John 19, verse 11, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. That's something that we always have to remember when it comes to the things we see in our world and the news and the nations. God is still in control, even though it may seem that man has the upper hand. And as this is true for human beings, so it is true for the devil and his servants. They too are unable to do anything to the church or in the world apart from God's divine determination. We see that with Satan when he came before God there pictured in Job chapter 1. He could do nothing to Job apart from God's permission. Even these fallen creatures are subject to his divine will and purpose even as the holy angels who willfully serve him and do his bidding as we sing so often in Psalm 103. And this confession we make about the governance of God over all things is important for us to remember in this day and age. And not only for our comforts, not only for our own peace of mind and assurance as we look to an uncertain future, but also for a proper perspective when it comes to the things that we see in this world and even in the life of the church. For sadly, there are many Christians in the world today who would not agree with what we confess here in Lord's Day 10, question answer 27. For if we return to the thought of a moment ago that God is involved in the general things of creation and in the specific things of the lives of men and nations, there are those who believe that when it comes to God's providence, it only applies to the good things that come to pass in the world. For example, if we look at question answer 27, at the statements that leaf and blade, rain, fruitful years, food and drink, health and riches, all these things, some would say, fall under God's providence, but not drought, not lean years, not sickness, not poverty, because those are the works of the devil. Those are the deeds of Satan and his servants, which seek to destroy the abundance that God gives to us as Christians and takes from our health that God wants you to have. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be wealthy. And the devil takes that, some believe. And so to say that such harmful or destructive things come from God, or that God ordains them or permits them to be, is to speak contrary of the nature and will of God. And so there are those who advocate this idea, especially the prosperity preachers of the word and faith movement, so prevalent today on TV, also known as the health and wealth movement. The idea is that God is one who who sends health. He is the one who sends good. He is the one who prospers you, while the devil is the one who seeks to take from your health, who seeks to take from your wealth, to bind you to poverty and sickness and disease. And as long as you fail to believe, that's how you remain. To be sure, we wouldn't deny that God may use the devil or wicked men and nations to bring about his judgment on the earth, poverty, drought, 
Affliction through a national economy that falters and fails. Environmental catastrophes and difficulties where we see man's lack of care for the good creation God has made. And yet they're not the ones by whom these things ultimately come to pass. God alone is almighty. Not Satan. Not man. There is not an equal force of good and evil battling it out for the supremacy of mankind or for mastery over the universe, as you'd read in a comic book. No, God alone is sovereign over all these things, visible and invisible. And again, even the devil and his servants are subject to him in all things. And yet someone who's thinking about all that might say, yeah, reverend, but... Doesn't that doctrine of providence then put God in a bad light? Doesn't this doctrine diminish his glory? For to say that God is sovereign over all, and that he works sovereignly in all of these areas, doesn't that take from whom he is? And the answer to that, beloved, is not at all. Not in the least bit. Because God sovereignly works in and through all things and orders them in time and in history for what? For his good and perfect and acceptable will to come to pass. That's why. And God does that for the good of his creation. He does that in general for mankind, that his rain and sunshine comes upon the just and the unjust. He brings these things to pass also as judgment on the wicked. But he also works in and through these things for the sake of his church, through the good and through the bad. For notice again the last line of question and answer 27 there. It says, indeed, all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. All things. You see, all his works, all his activity in men and among the nations, in their plans and through their actions, are meant to fulfill his purposes and his plans in Christ. We see that in blessings on the land. For fruitful years and a nation like Canada is a testimony. A testimony to this people of this land that he exists, that he is. He is a God who provides He is a God who is kind. Acts 14, verse 15. That droughts come upon a people. That disasters strike in fierce storms. Or that a disease runs rampant among the nations. Is a powerful testimony to how much we as sinners need the true and living God. And not to rest in ourselves. Or in a government. Or in a man. God alone is our help. And salvation alone is found by him in our Lord Jesus Christ. These are testimonies. These are witnesses to a fallen world on the path to destruction. And for the church, these same events, these same happenings, these same trials that come upon us in this fallen world are a means for our sanctification. They're a means to humble us, to give us a right perspective when we lose sight of things. These are means that help us to die to self and draw us closer to God, to remind us that even though we are of the heavenly family, we are still but children who depend upon our father and our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we cannot forget 
that. That way, as time goes on, and we experience many adversities, we, by grace, can turn to him so that we may endure and continue to give him the glory day by day. You see, these things come for a purpose in our lives. For God is at work. He is at work for the sake of his creation, and he is at work for the sake of his church. And that wonderful truth, beloved, is is an immense comfort to us in a world where there is so much in the way of trial and adversity and pain and sorrow. Again, these are not things that are accidents. They're not a, a meaningless collection of events that just happen to be, regardless of who they affect. Oh, each one of them, from the smallest of things that happens in your life to the greatest of things that happens to a nation, comes from God's hand. And therefore, we may say irreverently, not meaning to in any way diminish the struggling or suffering or difficulties any one individual or family may go through. We may say that if he brings something into our lives, if he purposes something to be, whether if it comes in the form of strife, illness, or persecution, we can be sure that it comes for a reason. And that in time, his timing, in ways that we may not know or ever know in this life, he is going to use that for good, for for our good, for our family's good, for our church's good, and as a witness to the world. And that's something we never have to doubt. Nothing comes to us by chance. But by God's fatherly hand, even though we don't know why his hand moves the way it does at times. And may that truth, beloved, be to your encouragement. May that truth about our God be to your comfort and your strength as you go forth day by day in a fallen world and you have to live with all of the struggles and trials that you have to bear in this earthly and temporal life. Your God, your Father in the Lord Jesus Christ is in control. This is your Father's world. Never forget that. And what he brings to pass, he does so to fulfill his purposes through his Son for you and I, his children in Christ. Yes, how blessed we are and what joy it is to know that not only has God created, but even now, by his providence, he upholds And governs all things, even for our good and our blessing. And so we see here, beloved, the absolute truth of this doctrine. It's not man-made. It is the truth of God's word, not to be diminished, not to be changed. It's absolute. It's complete. It's perfect. Something that we may cling to and hang our faith on daily. The absolute truth of this doctrine Well, then secondly, we see our confession about the amazing comfort found in this doctrine. Comfort. That's a word that comes up again and again, doesn't it, in the catechism. Hey, children, we learn it all the way from Lord's Day 1. What is my only comfort? Where do I rest? Where do I find my security? Where do I find my peace? Comfort. And this doctrine of, 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 of providence... Uh, is, is comforting, isn't it? It's a doctrine that breathes comfort. It's a, it's a doctrine that exudes comfort. It's a doctrine that 
does not fail to provide for the child of God, even in the most trying of times, even in the most confusing of times, it helps to center you, it helps to focus you, to have your feet planted in the midst of the hurricane, even though all that's going on around you, you know where your comfort is. And that's such a precious truth, because sometimes we don't, we don't know why things come to pass in our lives. And we know that for many in the Christian life, they go through many things, many trials. Maybe you know that. There are some families of the church where it just seems they're, again and again, there's one thing after another, right? Painful sicknesses, or those who suffer painful loss, death of loved ones and families. Maybe in some certain circumstances that seem so tragic. You think of like Job and his situation. Some Christians endure painful family situations. Not all of our children or family walk with the Lord. Or maybe we battle continued financial woes. We try to be good stewards, but it always seems as if we struggle. and We feel so guilty and so ashamed. Sometimes Christians suffer terrible persecution for their faith. Times as if it seems some of these are continual. They never come to an end, and we wonder, Lord... How long will it be? Others seem to go on and they're fine. How long will it be? And that can often be the case in many of our life situations. Many trials, many ongoing situations that never seem to resolve, no relief, no change. We may may begin to question and, and to wonder why. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my loved one? Why do things like this unfold in my life? Maybe we ask that more when we're younger. When we get older, we maybe have a little more foundation for our faith there. Sometimes in our darkest moments, we ask, well, is it because I'm such a terrible sinner? Is this way God is is dealing with me? Is it because I'm not consistent as I should be in my my Christian walk? Have I done something to offend God? And now I'm reaping the fruit of it in my family too. Has God stopped loving me? Has he removed his favor from me? Maybe I'm not even really saved. At times, such questions can come to our heads when our emotions are taxed and we feel so overwhelmed. And to be sure, there may be times when such things do come to pass because of our sinful choices and our willful rebellion to the will of God. We have to acknowledge that. God uses such situations to humble us. Especially us men, sometimes we can be very stubborn. Situations as a means to to discipline us, to correct us, to help us, as he did with David, to humble us and bring us to a confession of sin and genuine repentance, leading to reconciliation with him. God does work in those ways. And yet, beloved, no matter what we may endure, whether it's due to God's discipline for our own personal sin and choices, or simply because we live in a fallen world, and we deal with the ramifications of the fall into sin in our bodies, in our families, in our worlds, we can be assured that no matter what we may endure, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you ever want a reassurance of that, just go home and read Romans 8. And you'll know from verse 1 to verse 39 how true that confession is. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. 
Because, beloved, I assure you, the ongoing trials, the adversities, the various hardships or struggles you may go through are not because God has stopped loving you. They're not because God has a lack of concern for your life. Indeed, not at all. Rather, these things God brings into our lives demonstrate to us his love. They demonstrate to us his care. He demonstrates to us the time and again and reassures us that we are his and that he has the provision for all of our needs. All of our needs. For example, maybe your financial woes are are meant to help you to cultivate a deeper trust in him and to loosen your grip on the things of this world which you love and you feel that if you let go, life is going to fall apart. Or maybe the illness you suffer from is not only meant to draw you and your family closer to the Lord, but to help prepare you to witness to others who need to see things in the right perspective, that they can understand that life is short. We don't know how much time we have in this good earth, but we have to make sure that we're right with the Lord before we leave it. Or maybe the persecution you endure is a means by which God wants to use you in the heart of him who persecutes you as a witness, as a testimony, and at the same time to refine you as gold in the fire to make you even more glorifying to your Father in heaven. It's hard to say what the bigger picture is for your life and for those around you in the midst of your trials and difficulties. And yet, beloved, you can be confident that all of these things come to pass not because God is distant from you or has no longer any concern. If anything, God's providence teaches us that you can have a growing assurance in your heart of his love and of his care and to such an extent as question answer 28 says, we can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. Yes, you see, the better we come to understand this glorious doctrine of providence and the importance and the meaning it plays for our lives, the better we can be in practicing these truths of being patient, of being thankful, of having a firm confidence. Does it seem sometimes that when it comes to that confidence, you seem like you're standing in the boat in the midst of a storm and you wonder how you're going to keep your footing? A firm confidence for the future, I can't even get through today. A firm confidence. And if you want further assurance of that, that nothing can separate you from God's love in Christ, then notice that last part of question and answer 28. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. Ponder that for an eternity. Ponder that. Think about that. All of mankind, world governments, political leaders, hostile religions, even the devil himself, they're all under the powerful control of God. They cannot move. They cannot act. They cannot scheme. They cannot do anything against the church of Jesus Christ apart from his holy will. And if they can't do that, beloved, 
If they can't do that, then how are they going to separate you from his love? How are they going to undo what Jesus did on the cross? How can man, even the most brilliant of men, or wisest of leaders, undo the things of God in eternity when they can't even control the events of today? And that powerful truth, congregation of God's abiding love and of the world's fleeting strength is an unceasing source of comfort to our souls when we're faced with all manner of of trials in this life because you know that none of them are greater than your God. None of them are greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. None of them can affect your eternal standing with God even though sometimes your physical life may feel all akimbo but your eternal standing is fixed. And so, beloved, as you endure life's many trials, as you go through the many tribulations that our Lord Jesus Christ warned us about in the Gospels, set your mind and your hearts on this precious doctrine, on the truth that nothing happens by chance, but comes by God's fatherly hand. It does. And cling to that. Trust in his grace. Trust in his strength. That you may find encouragement in the midst of your difficult times. So that God may use you as a blessing to fellow believers in their needs. That you may come alongside and comfort them with the comfort that you have in Christ. And that you too might be a witness to the loss of this world. The people who think the world's going to be destroyed by overpopulation. They think the world's going to be destroyed by climate change. This world's going to be flooded again. People who think the aliens are going to come and take over. It's true. There are people out there who believe that. But that you may be a witness for the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord and the Father is sovereign over all. Yes, how rich we are as the people of God with the glorious doctrines of Scripture and this precious truth that we have here today that this mighty God who upholds all things is our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless our hearts with that truth today and forever. Amen and amen.